0: Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle.
1: I mean, they didn't want to put that clause in his contract because he was a study, study guy. I mean, We forget about that, right? Everybody got so angry about that clause. <laughs> That was agreed on by the player, by the team, and by the agent who represents everybody. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and V-CIN. is Femi Abebefe.
0: Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and v I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, we're a third of the way through the NFL season, and the weeks keep getting faster and faster, man.
1: Man, it do. I mean, it's amazing, you know, and and worlds are colliding, Femi. We've got NBA basketball, bet the Sixers (laughs) on the under, they look like crap. Uh, You know, we got Major League Baseball, we got the Astros-Yankees, we got the Mm Padres-Phillies, right? I guess we got soccer, too, going on, hockey's going on, Uh, football, I mean all the worlds are colliding. It's kind of
0: remarkable, isn't it? It's a lot of fun for us sports viewers here. It's definitely a multi screen month, the month of October and November as well. It's going to be a multi screen month. But as always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out in all of our numbers, so make sure to do that. If you're a fan of the pod, our producer Stephen Bond with us as well on the ones and twos, Michael. And if you want to tweet at us, you can tweet at Michael at Lombardi NFL and you can find me at Femi Abebefe. But Michael, let's start with the NFL owners' meetings. They took place this past Tuesday in New York City, and usually the owners' meetings aren't very eventful. A couple of nuggets will come out here and there, but nothing that's too headline grabby. But that was until Jim Ursay, the Indianapolis Colts owner, decided to speak on the report that we saw last week with ESPN and Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders. Jim Ursay said that there is, quote, merit to removing Daniel Snyder as an owner. This is the first time we've ever heard an owner publicly speak about Daniel Snyder in this manner. What was your reaction when you heard this earlier this week? I think he spoke for a lot of us. I think he
1: spoke for, you know, what has happened to this franchise. I mean, you know, you got to go back to when this franchise was being sold and Jack Kent Cook, the son of of the owner, Jack Kent Cook Sr., you know, was in the bidding war And Snyder was in that bidding war with a guy named Harold Milstein. And Milstein and him were together in a joint at the hip. But then when Milstein was basically getting loans from his father, the owners said, no, no, that's not going to work. And they basically took on Snyder along with Fred Smith and some other partners who he has since bought out. So one of the reasons that if you go back and read a lot of the Washington Post reporting of when Snyder took this team over and was able to secure it, a lot of it was the threat of lawsuits and this is still the game that he plays today. And I keep wondering, at, at the end of the day, what is Daniel Snyder's endgame? You know, he's never going to get a stadium. Nobody wants to attach their name to his franchise. I mean, his team's in purgatory. You know, it's he, he doesn't want to make a move one way or the other. He's not acting as he did in the past. And I thought Sally Jenkins wrote a great column in the Washington Post yesterday about it. I mean, it's just, to me, it's really unfortunate that, The two of the worst owners in the history of owners, the Washington football team has had them. George Preston Marshall, who should be thrown out of the Hall of Fame for what he's done to the league over the race discrimination that he practiced while he was the owner of the Washington Redskins. And then this guy. I mean, it's really sad. And I write about it in my book about Preston Marshall, about how he he really was the 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 main person behind. The, the African-American players not being allowed to really participate in the NFL from 36 to 46 and you know and yet we have him
0: in the Hall of Fame it's almost ridiculous yeah that's uh it's, a, it's an organization that has seen its trials and tribulations here's what Colts owner Jim Ursay did say though at the Tuesday League meetings in New York he said quote I just believe in the workplace today the standard that the shield stands for in the NFL, that you have to stand for that and protect that. I just think once owners talk amongst each other, they'll arrive at the right decision. My belief is, unfortunately, I believe that's the road we have to go down, this in terms of removing Daniel Snyder. Quote, we just need to finish the investigation, but it's greatly concerning to me the things that have occurred there over the last 20 years. That is Colt's owner, Jim Ursay. And Ursay came out and said, Hey, Dan Snyder, if you got dirt on me, go ahead and investigate it and do whatever you want to do. All my info is out there. Everybody knows Jim Ursay's past and his battles with addiction. And that's nowhere near to the standard of what Daniel Snyder has been dealing with out there in Washington. And it's the thing, I think the thing that Michael, to me, that is the most kind of significant about this is that none of the owners really spoke out against Jim Ursay. It was almost as if they were all like, Yeah, Jim, we all agree with you and we're going to kind of stand behind you. Yeah,
1: I I think to me it's kind of hard to argue with because at the end of the day, even though they revenue share, the fact that we do not have a a, a legitimately loved franchise in in our nation's capital is somewhat sad. It's like when the league is always better when the Raiders are good. The league is always better when the Giants are good or the Jets are the New York teams are good, the Bears are good. That that makes the league, that really brings it up. It makes the ratings even stronger. And so, when you have something like Washington where they've gone from such a wonderful franchise to this mess, really it, it's sad. It, it is sad. And as a, as a kid growing up as a Redskin fan, you know, those uniforms I loved and what he's done to the franchise is really really been it, it it could be a 30 for 30 but it should be mm-hmm. like 120 for 120 because it's a it's a kind of a it has gone a pattern of this isn't just a fender bender. this has been a pattern of reckless behavior for the since he owned the team since he's purchased the team do you think this is the beginning of the end I don't think I, first of all you need 24 of them to agree on the end and then you've got to be able to hold up I'm sure he's going to file a lawsuit against them if they try to throw him out you know, and he's denied all the ESPN charges. Mm-hmm. That article just didn't appear out of nowhere. Like, somebody somebody collaborated with, you know, with Van Wickersham. I mean, he just didn't get that. he make that up. He's not a novelist. You know, so <laughs> he got somebody on the record to say some of that stuff, and some of that were owners. So I, I think at the end of the day, the money he's taking from the owner's pocket because he's not putting anything in is somewhat alarming. I mean, Mike Brown... For whatever you want to say about his franchise, Mike Brown, you know, never really wanted to name the stadium. He wanted to always keep it as Paul Brown Stadium, but he realized the economics of today are, he needs to do that. So he did. This guy doesn't, you know, he's never going to make any money for the
0: league. Yeah, Seth Wickersham, Don Van Natta Jr., and also Tisha Thompson were the ones that had the report from ESPN last week. Uh, Wickersham and and Van Natta Jr. have been busy because they also dropped us a little uh, nugget Tuesday as well from the owners' meeting that sources who have been close to the situation amongst these meetings about the NFL kind of having to approve Roger Goodell's contract and the extension and all that stuff. It was a 31 to one vote on Tuesday, permitting the compensation committee to open negotiations on a new contract for Commissioner Roger Goodell. Apparently it got a little uh heated between Dallas Cowboys <laughs> owner Jerry Jones and New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft. The sources, this is from the article, the sources said Kraft joined the overwhelming majority in strong support for the measure, with Jones the lone dissenter in the owners only session, eventually telling Kraft, quote, don't F with me. Kraft replied, excuse me, and then Jones said, don't mess with me. These are two heavy hitters we know have a lot of power amongst these NFL owners going toe-to-toe, apparently, over the commissioner's potential extension.
1: And they're partners in a lot of businesses together. I mean, they're partners in a lot of things that they do together, the Legends group. So, yeah, I I mean, look, uh, this is an interesting thing to me where you know the the commissioner gets a lot of credit for – the league's success and all the things that are going on, but there's a lot of committees that happen behind the scenes, and I'm sure Jerry feels like all the success, whether it's the revenue generated from the TV deals, he's probably is responsible, so why are we overpaying the position? I, I think it's probably right, but look, they, this guy has put a lot of money in these. They're not buying yachts because they're not making a ton of money. I mean, every these all these owners are buying yachts lately.
0: And Jones, his whole beef with this whole Goodell extension thing is that he thinks that the bonus for Goodell should be very merit-based and structured based off of financial goals that are set. He, in his opinion, believes, at least according to the report that's sourced, is that – Things are, quote, vague in terms of Goodell's incentives that he has to hit for the contract. I believe over the past couple of years in the article, it said that Roger Goodell has been compensated. Yeah, for 2020 and 2021, his compensation was nearly $128 million, which is just an obscene amount of money there for Roger Goodell. But, but, it but, it is, that's,
1: but, but when you run it, but when you're running a multi billion dollar company, it's really yeah. not. When you, yeah. you know, we all look at that number as a standalone number, but when you're running a multi billion dollar co- company that can controls television that you know you put a game on TV it's going to get the highest rating i mean you're you're running these companies you're keeping order in the company you're you're doing the things that are right i mean you're not going to get paid 5 million dollars a year to me it's a little bit like coaching salaries you know and you know how do you pay a coach who's running an organization completely how do you pay him 5 or 6 or 7 million a year when the the, the franchise is worth 7 billion Eight six billion, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do
0: that? Like, if he's in charge of it, you know, and I, and I think to me that's all proportional. Jerry, it almost feels like he's like, you know, what we could get anybody to run this thing. Like, like, what are we doing, paying this? But I mean, God- Goodell, to his credit, has done a pretty good job since taking over. I believe it was two thousand six when he took over as the commissioner of the National Football League, and it's been uh, at least for the owners, they've seen their money continue to to multiply over that time period, but. Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, both of their teams hoping to get their quarterbacks back at some point here. Well, the New England one, it's a little bit more murky. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the Dallas Cowboys, Michael, are expecting Dak Prescott to return this week against the Detroit Lions. Dak, of course, had the fractured thumb in week one opening night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cowboys have since gone 4-1 and since that start. But what are you expecting from Dak in this Cowboys offense with QB1 returning this weekend?
1: Well, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that we, we don't have the you know your boy Kellen Moore in the basement all of a sudden calling all these plays. We're hoping that they manage the game, they call the game like they've been calling it. I'm hoping McCarthy continues to be the head coach and kind of demand order within the offensive structure of the team. I think to me, how do we play the game to win this week? How do we control? We saw New England shut them out. You know, New England controlled the ball for, I think, 35 minutes in that game. They were able to take Detroit out of their game plan, make them play from behind, and, you know, not get into a track meet like Seattle got into or Mm -hmm. some of these other teams do. So I I, I hope he does that. I really do. And I I think we have to forget about how many yards we gain. How do we play the game the right way? You know, we've got a dynamic returner in Turpin. You know, this kid, you know, he went to TCU. He bounced around the world, right? He got, you know... I mean, this kid's dynamic, what he brings to the table. So we're going to get great field position. We've got two, our best two players, our running backs. Gallup starting to come along. Lamb, you know, let's just play within the comforts of our game. Let's get the lead. we got a 20-point advantage at the first quarter, right? And let's let our defense continue to be the shining light here. I hope that's what they do. I hope this
0: isn't a 40-pass a game for Dak because that's not what they need to do. Like you always say, Call the game to win the game and not call the game to put up stats and yards and, and to, to go get ahead of coaching job is what we're hoping for yeah. from Kellen Moore. Um I mean, da- we don't
1: need you to be like we don't need you to be brilliant. Like I wrote we wrote this week for the Daily Coach about the difference between, you know, simple and you know and, and complex. And s- simplicity is harder than complexity because it requires you to not get bored, but it also requires you to be able to adjust the game as the game's going on. You know, and when you're too complex and nobody understands it, then all of a sudden you get into s- some situations that you can't get out of. And I think Dallas, even though they got behind against Philadelphia, they made that a game. You know, they made that a game. Now, somebody would say, oh, well, Lane Johnson went out of the game. That's why it became a game. No, no, I don't. You no, know, Lane Johnson's a really good player, but the right tackle doesn't shift the game, okay? Like, that doesn't really happen. Like, <laughs> they stayed in the game. I think what happens to the Eagle offense is, as they take their bye week in the city of champions here with the Phillies and the Eagles (laughs) celebrate, I think what happens to Philly is they're like playing an academy team, and so you're not used to the speed of the game, and that's why their second quarter is so dynamic. But once Dallas defense got used to the speed, they played pretty good in that game. They gave
0: up just that one touchdown in the second half. Dak's not the only quarterback, Michael, that's expected to return this week. Tua Tungavailoa out of the p- concussion protocol, has now been practicing for a couple of weeks now, expected to start in the Dolphins' home game against the Pittsburgh Steelers here. And for Tua, man, he's just got to stay healthy as, as, as far as I'm concerned. What do you think that Tua, who is needed in this Dolphins offense based on the quarterback play that they've gotten over the last few weeks, what are you expecting from him? Yeah,
1: I, I thought Skyler Thompson, when he was in the game, was actually playing pretty good. It looked like a pretty good player. But let's just put things in perspective. Throw out the Baltimore game. Throw that out. Throw out the explosive plays, okay? Mm-hmm. Throw those through. Th- throw that game out. That game, to me, seems like an outlier. Yeah, he scored 20 points against the Patriots. The defense scored seven in that game. This is the Miami offense I'm talking about. They scored 21 against Buffalo. Buffalo gave them the ball on the six-yard line. They've scored 15, 17, and 16 points in the last three weeks. They have not been explosive. They have not been explosive for as dynamic as they are with Tyreek Hill and for as unbelievable of the speed that they have they haven't been explosive and two is going to come back and he's going to run his RPO game cuz that's what he does really well but what worries you as a coach is in the last 3 weeks Cincinnati, New York and and Minnesota they've lost their quarterbacks in the first quarter the quarterback's gotten hit mm-hmm. this offensive line hasn't played well and so how do you run RPOs when the team knows two is not running or two is going to be very guarded about running I think this is a delicate balance because if Tua gets hit again and he kind of gets up wobbly, yeah, you think he's playing again this year?
0: Nope. It's, I don't either. No, and and nobody wants to see that, and it's hopefully he is all good to go and they're able to protect him. Teron Armstead, their left tackle, he should be back this week after missing last week's game, so we're hoping that Tua can stay healthy. Yeah, he, he'll, on miss, the field. he'll be in and out of the game all year. I mean, that's just what Armstead at the
1: point in his career where he can't stay healthy. You know, and, you know, they're talking about trading Gusecki, which I'm sure they want to do that. I mean, the guy's mm-hmm. got 15 catches. They're not really getting, you know, to pay him a franchise number when he's really not making a difference. You know, but, like, if you shipped him to – like, if he were on Baltimore's team with Andrews – see, I, I think a lot of these teams, especially Baltimore and Tampa, haven't figured out what their quarterbacks need the most. Baltimore signs, signs Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson, like, they don't need another outside receiver. They don't – that's not going to help Lamar. What they need is a slot receiver and a nickelback to go along with Andrews or another tight end. That's what they need because he wants to throw the ball in the middle of the field. It's the same thing with Brady. Brady needs a tight end that can catch and run routes. He needs a nickelback, James White, Kevin Falk, Shane Varine whoever that guy is, put him in there. And he needs a slot receiver. Wesley Wes Welker, Danny Amadola, Julian Edelman, whichever. I mean, these are the names he's got to have. Now, he's got Godwin that he likes in there, but he doesn't have the other two. Giving him an outside receiver doesn't really help him as much as he wants to throw the ball in the middle of the field. And so, to me, you know, I, uh, those teams should be after Gusecki because Gusecki really, for what he's doing and what they're paying him in Miami, it isn't really worth it.
0: Well, Michael, the couple of teams on Thursday Night Football need a lot, the Saints and the Cardinals. We'll break down that game on the other side as we take our first break. It's the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Thursday Night Football, Michael, Amazon Prime. We get the New Orleans Saints visiting the Arizona Cardinals right now at our show sponsor, DraftKings. Cardinals two-and-a-half point favorites, total 43-and-a-half. It's welcome back, DeAndre Hopkins, after serving his six-game suspension. And we haven't seen Hopkins in a solid year now. Last year, he was hurt the second half of the season, then gets suspended the first six games here. So do you think, Michael, that Hopkins provides a boost for this Cardinals offense? I mean, he has to. I mean, they're, they're leading the receiver, averages eleven point three a
1: catch and he's in a boot Marquise Hollywood Brown. So there's nobody else on the team that's over nine I mean, that that's over ten yards a catch. Now I think with Amazon Prime, if they were really a smart marketing team like I believe they are, mm-hmm. I think they should give out a discount to the Wizard of Oz this week. They should basically <laughs> say you watch the game the Wizard of Oz for two weeks is free and Technicolor, whatever the hell it is. We can watch the Mayor of Munchkin Land go parading around because it kind of goes hand in hand, don't you think? We're off to the Yellow Brick Road. We can watch him do it. Don't you think that's a good idea? Like, why not? Why not use some synergy in this? You got all this. You got this library of films at your disposal. Dollar ninety nine. Buy the Wizard of Oz. Why not? Yeah. Watch the game. Buy the Wizard of Oz. You could tune it in in between. We could all sing. Let's go. We're going to Lollipop Land. I mean. I mean, I went back and watched that Seattle game again. I I, I mean, I don't know how – I mean, I don't know if the guy can play any worse or with any less effort. I can't wait to watch him on TV. I can't wait to see tonight if somebody's going to actually say, you know, he's not playing very good. You know, <laughs> somebody's going to say, you know, the guy, the guy's averaging 5.8 yards per attempt. Like, 5.8 yards per attempt. Now, I know yards per attempt is down. We'll get to that in the next block. Mm-hmm. But 5.8, Femi? It's bad. Are you kidding me? It's bad.
0: It, it's it's really bad. And maybe Hopkins coming back, because I know like some of the numbers, the on-off numbers show that when Hopkins is on the field, this Cardinals offense is one of the better offenses in the league. But you mentioned the injuries they have on the offensive line. Now Marquise Hollywood Brown is out. So I'm not sure how much Hopkins coming back is going to help after they've lost so many guys. And it seems like there's a clear disconnect between Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray on what they should be doing to try to move the ball down the field.
1: Well, I mean, I think, look, there's always going to be a disconnect between because Murray doesn't execute, and clearly he doesn't understand the game. He doesn't play, it, you know, as instinctively as he needs to play, you know, and so I think it's just pretty clear, you know, that he doesn't really have a feel for the game. He scrambles, he's running around, doesn't have two hands on the ball. Here we are, we're driving down the field against Seattle. we got a chance to score. Oh, yeah, I I'm not have two hands on the ball. I let it go. I mean, do you realize how bad they are in points per play? They're at .26. Pittsburgh. And them are exactly the same. Pittsburgh's playing Trubisky and a rookie quarterback. Meanwhile, you're playing a guy that you give 250 million to. And you have the same, this exact same points per play as they do. I mean, it's kind of hard. It's hard. And 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 in fairness to Cliff, last year they were averaging 039 points per play. They're down one three in points per play this year.
0: And you didn't change quarterbacks. So what do you think is happening? Do you think Kyler is just regressing or is there something else at play? Because I mentioned last week when we did the podcast that the offensive line and and all the injuries that they have in Cliff's scheme not really being able to mask some of the holes you have once you start to lose guys through the course of the season. But it's the same coach, it's the same quarterback, and the production has dropped off precipitously. So what is the issue here in Arizona? I think it's pretty clear. I I think that teams defend him a certain way. I
1: think teams rush him a certain way. I think teams say, okay, look, you know, we know you're going to carry the ball in a certain amount of plays. We know you're not going to be really good after it. So if we can keep you in the pocket and make you play quarterback and make you have to see down the field and keep containment on you, we got a chance. I mean, we got a really good chance. He's their leading rusher with, with 233 yards, averages 6'1", but he's not making those plays that he, that he did with his feet. And then when he gets to third down, he can't convert a third down. I mean, I, I've never loved their team. I thought A.J. Green was done last year, and they signed him back. Mm-hmm. You know, they trade for Hollywood Brown again. I don't know. that. You know, Ertz kind of gives them some inside perceiving, but he averages 8-5 a catch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I just think it's how people play you. I think people adjust to you. This is what makes them giving this contract with two years left on the deal so remarkable. Like, why did we have to do it? Like, why? Why couldn't you just let him continue to play? Like, he didn't win you a Super Bowl. How about this? A.J. Green averages. Think about this. A.J. Green averages. They signed him back. He's got 10 catches, them. His longest catch of the year is 10 yards. Yikes. He's got 56 yards in catches. That's that's terrible. That's terrible. It's <laughs> not, not terrible. Is. It's disgusting. It's that's like, what are you doing? Like you know, I mean, then Rondell Moore. This he's supposed to be this explosive player. He's got 16. He averages eight yards a catch. Like at some point, it's it, are, are these players that bad, or is somebody not getting? It's the point guard. It's what wh- where's the ball going to? And well, it's interesting to see what happens tonight. If somebody at least will say, "Hey, look, he's got to play better." I mean, they didn't want to put that clause in his contract because he was a study study guy. I mean, we forget about that, right? Everybody got so angry about that clause that was agreed on by the player, by the team, and by the agent who represents everybody, and yet nobody's bringing that. Maybe he's just not prepared to play all the time.
0: Well, the homework clause got taken out of the contract. I don't know if it was online bullying or what happened, but it got taken out of the contract. But on the New Orleans side tonight, Andy Dalton, it sounds like he's going to get the start once again. Jameis Winston returned to the practice field, but didn't practice in full. So it sounds like they're going to go with Dalton, who's already banged up in his own right with a back issue of his own. But no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. Andrews Pete, I believe, will be out as well. No Marshawn Lattimore from New Orleans. Who wins this game?
1: I mean, I to me, I, I had this – my line was two five six. The line's been at 2-5, all pretty much moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. Look, I thought New Orleans had a great opportunity to beat Cincinnati last week. They just didn't get a stop at the end of the game. They're driving the ball down the field. You know, they got a chance to take the lead in the game. They have the lead, and they have a chance to extend the lead, and they can't get the touchdown. They got to settle for a field goal, and Cincinnati makes the one explosive play, and they weren't able to do it. I, I think if New Orleans is able to get some pressure on him – Force him to play in the quarterback, force him to beat him. I think this is going to be hard. But New Orleans' defense, without Lattimore, has struggled. Yeah. They've blown too many coverage. I, I mean, they, they gave up a touchdown pass to Mixon on an under route. Werner, the linebacker, should have just carried him in. I mean, they're not really detailed enough on what they need to do. And so it's going to be hard. And without the weapons offensively, I, I think it's really challenging. And But Camaro looked to me last week like the Kamara of old. Like he looked like he was back a little bit, and that's gonna they're going to need him. But I'll say this about Arizona, fam. Mm-hmm. They're playing better defensively the last three weeks than they
0: have all season. All right. Well, Vance Joseph has turned things around after they got lit on fire by Kansas City and Las Vegas to start the season. But, Michael, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to ask the question, why is scoring down here on the GM Shuffle? All right, Michael, it's a question that I think a lot of people have been kicking around and wondering whether if you're just the average NFL fan or if you're an NFL better or what happened, you just like to watch football, but scoring in the league across the board has been down. And you sent me some interesting notes and stats that really shows this. The average team averaging 21.6 points per game with the exception of 2017. Every season at least has been 22.6. And there's some other numbers that we'll get into as well. But just from a more general standpoint, Michael, why do you think offenses have been struggling so far here in 2022?
1: I mean, you know, typically when teams went for it on fourth down, you know, it was such a shock that, you know, their conversion rate was a little higher right now right now there is only there's 12 there's 12 teams there's probably more than 12 cuz they're all tied for it mm-hmm. that are that are 50% on fourth down at, at the best i mean that's it just uh, that's it everything else is less i mean indianapolis is 16% uh, you know uh, uh, jacksonville who they continue to go for it they're at 38 point they continue to pass up field goals they're at 38.6% you know, we talk about the Arizona Cardinals who passed up points last week, you know, and, and they're 54.5%. That's not even a good number, right? That's not a good number. When you go for it on fourth down, the old rule was, if you went for it on fourth down, what what's my chances of making the field goal and what's my chances of converting? Well, I mean, with some of these teams, what you have to get to... There's only four teams in. There's only three teams in the 70s. The Rams, Vegas, and Minnesota that are converting it at 70 percent. Philly's at 69. Atlanta's at 66. Cleveland and Tampa are at 60. Kansas City and Buffalo. Those are the only teams. That's three six. Not that's ten teams that are 60 percent or above. So when you turn down points like Arizona did, or you turn down points like Jacksonville does at a, at a high rate to take a a, a less play. Jacksonville turns down a 45-yard field goal. Their success rate converting fourth down is 38.6. A 45-yard field goal should be 75% make, right? Shouldn't it be? Yeah, around there. In a dome? In a dome with no wind? Like nobody, nobody discusses. We just accept to go for it on fourth down like it's no big deal. And nobody, you would think the networks would put up, okay, probability, because they love probability, right? They love this probability stat. Probability of making the field goal is 84%. Probability of getting on fourth down is what? Like, we don't, like, why not? If we're so analytically inclined to just fall into the analytics, why don't we see the numbers? And so you want to know why points are down? Because people, people buff on Gould with points. They just flick their nose up to it. They don't give a shit. I don't need three points. Doug Peterson, I don't need three points. I'm 384 points separate on fourth down, but I don't need three points. I'd rather give the ball back to them with no points. That's what he's saying. That's what you're saying. And then here's the other thing. When you don't get it on fourth down, why doesn't that count as the turnover? They just turn the ball over. Why are we so stoic in how we determine it's only a fumble or it's only an interception? No, missed field goals are turnovers. Fourth downs are turnovers. It's Actually, the terminology is to turn over on downs. It's turned over on downs. You didn't get the first; you went for it. I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, I still can't believe Kevin Stefanski went for it on fourth down. Then he comes back the next week, and next week, and he hurries up and gets to the line, and he gets stuffed again in his own in, in New England territory. Turned down three points there.
0: And, and the thing with because uh, I know you're talking about the probabilities, and I guess why I think some of the teams would lean towards going for it is. Because clearly they want the touchdown because seven points, we all can do the math, is more than three points. But it it is the factor of, all right, if we don't get this, we're also giving the team a shorter field or we're giving them an advantageous spot here. But I do think it's kind of like a risk-reward assessment that you're trying to do there with the do we go for it on fourth and two and then try to continue this drive to maybe get seven versus do we go – And kick the field goal which if it's a 45 48 yard field goal maybe it's around that 70 75 percent to go ahead and make it because we've seen sometimes the field goals are not guarantees as well Michael with some of the field goal kickers that we have in the league running around I mean if you don't have a Tucker a McPherson or one of those guys uh, I mean you can only feel but so confident (laughs) in your kicker. I agree I agree completely with that. If I had Matt Amidola as my kicker, I would never kick. I
1: mean <laughs> exactly. if I had, if I was a general manager and I said, okay, Matt is my kicker, I would say, Matt, don't even dress for the game. We don't need you. Like I wouldn't even let him kick. Don't even dress. Like seriously. I've seen enough of Matt Amadola. God bless I'm sure he's a great kid. I'm sure he's a great kid. Yes. But I don't want him as my kicker. Okay. Like I I am with you. I want to go out there, but like the the Cardinals saw Amadola kick in pregame against the Eagles. The television brought it up. They sewed it on the screen. Mm -hmm. He was shanking the ball to the right. Like, I mean, like, were we surprised he shanked it again? No, of course not. But why is he still on the team? What's he still doing on the team? You know, Kyler slid, which cost them a chance to even get closer, even win the game. So I'm with you. Look, I get it. But if you got Justin Tucker and you're turning down points, shame on you. Shame on you. Mm a league that's games are decided by four points or less and scoring is down now we know why you continually want to do it on fourth down go ahead you do it in your own territory like like Stefanski what's the reward for Stefanski doing it in
0: his own territory what does he get three more plays <laughs> yeah I think I think it's all circumstantial based on and it's your all roster game related it's all yeah it's, it's all all game game related. Scene, yes.
1: It's I like there's no way people say to me all the time well you know you're too hard on Steph- on on uh Stanley he's really smart okay no, he's you know not. this is a this is a line i learned if he's so smart show me one smart thing he's done not on defense i don't see it on a scheme on defense mm-hmm. tell me one smart decision he's made in a game that i said okay that's really good to to, to not punt the ball back away from cleveland i mean that kid could have made that i mean so I I think that's why
0: scoring's down. I think people are turning points down. It's pretty obvious. Well, you also noted the yards per pass attempt are the lowest in over a decade. And then also the league-wide yards per carry are some of the highest. So the the, the passing and the rushing, it's almost like the cyclical effect of these defenses that you noted that have been kind of built to now stop the pass can't really stop the run.
1: They can't stop the run. People are playing more seven-man fronts, one gap short. So you can run the ball right i mean when you watch the texans you know that they're in a seven man front they want to stay try to play man to man earlier in the year they couldn't now they're back to playing the camp you know so it's all about that and they and most defensive coaches feel like the defense will they'll get tired of running it and the other problem is is because of the run games are so everybody's an offset back, everybody's faking the inside handoff. I mean, if you went back to a two-back run game, if you lined up like like the Raiders do and New England does at times into a two-back run, they, they don't even know how to fit on a two-back run. <laughs> I mean, go back and watch the raider chief game and watch the Chiefs try to play the two-back runs in that tape. I mean, Jacobs good. was great, don't get me wrong, but there were holes to go through in that tape that were amazing. Because they don't know how to, they didn't know how to really fit on two back. Because a they never practice against two back runs. Their teams never really run it. So it, it it gives to me this is where when everybody zigs, we should zag. Like whenever like to me, Justin Fields should have a two back run team. It could, because we we need to be able to to get away our to utilize adversity within our run game. We know this running doesn't solve the problem. Running doesn't score points but Philly's run game is hard to duplicate unless you have a quarterback like Hertz who could run who's big enough to handle that role. And the quarterback runs, I think are another reason why these numbers
0: are up. I completely agree with you. It's, it's the NFL is very cyclical. Everyone was stopping the run 10, 15, 20 years ago then the passing game got implemented with Andy Reid and what he's been doing and then all the passing offenses took over and then now everyone defends the pass and now if you can run the football you have the advantage there so zigging one which Miami
1: at. can't do Miami can't run the ball right Miami struggled to run the ball and now Miami I just read you Miami's scoring totals and if I if you ask any fan on the street what you think Miami's scoring totals would be if I said other than one game has Miami scored over 22 points the answer would be probably oh yeah sure they they, they don't score Because people won't let him have that big play.
0: Yeah, that's that's a big deal with uh, being able to stay balanced and run the football. But, Michael, let's take our last break on the other side. We'll run down Sunday's slate here on the GM Shuffle. All right, Michael, let's take a look at Sunday's card here in week seven of the National Football League. We talked a little bit about Lions-Cowboys in that game, but I wanted to ask you about this Colts and Titans game, the AFC South matchup. The Colts wrapping up another AFC South series here. It's kind of weird how they've played all these games in division so early on, but Indianapolis, two-and-a-half-point underdogs in Nashville against Tennessee, total 42-and-a-half. Are the Colts starting to turn things around here, Michael? Should we be believing in our Indianapolis Colts?
1: Well, I mean, look, they threw it over 50 times in the last game. They kept Matt Ryan from actually getting killed, so that was a step. (laughs) They gave up a ton of big runs, you know, and, you know, the last time they played, they lost by seven at home to the Titans, and the Titans didn't even score in the second half, right? And when you look at the Titans, the Titans are a hard team to handicap because their numbers are really bad. Ryan Tannehill's not playing well at all, right? You know, and all the numbers say Indianapolis is the better team. Yards per play, they're close, offensively any any i mean tennessee averages 4.9 yards per play but where tennessee is a little bit it gets an advantage is they're very effective in points per play you know where that's where they really kind of they maximize it and they're able to be very effective when they need to be effective and i think this these are always hard games last year i don't think the colts were tough enough they get taylor back that should help them in and they but they got to handle this front of tennessee I, I think it's a close game and Tennessee has just an ability to win these kind of games. It's really kind of strange how they do it. My hats off to Vrabel because they're not mm-hmm. explosive at all. They're not. They don't make any explosive plays, but they find a way to win games.
0: I think it's going to be a really close game. Uh, I bet Indianapolis at plus three when the line was at three. Uh, I think the Colts win, but it's going to be a close field goal game either way. So I figured, hey, might as yeah. well go ahead and grab. The I field. have it as a two. I have it as
1: a two point eight one eight game. Two point one eight game. So there's not a lot of wiggle room in
0: that, you know, and I, the line's coming to that two number more than anything. Yeah, I completely agree there. Giants and the Jaguars, Michael, the New York <laughs> Giants 5-1 and one right now in second place in the NFC East, only behind the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. They're three-point underdogs against the Jacksonville Jaguars total at 42. Are the G-men being disrespected? Well, I mean, again, when you
1: look at the numbers in this game, right, when you just compare the numbers on defensive, points per play, uh, opponent points per play, yards per play, you compare all those things, third down conversions, red zone scoring, you know, uh, you, you you look at all these numbers, and other than the Giants are really good at third down defense. They're one of the best third down defenses in football. I think they're fourth overall. Their red zone is the fourth best red zone. So they that's where they keep you out. And when you look at all the numbers, you say, well, it's not surprising that the team that's two and four is favored over the team that's five and one playing at home and all that. Mm -hmm. But the team that's playing at home, other than the one game they played at home against Indianapolis, haven't really played a game to where they've played to win. You know, they, 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 they continually try to get away from the run game. They have all these exotic plays they don't really have a middle of the field passing game. I think they threw it out over to the left sideline last week, but I kept out watching the tape saying, like, where's the, where's the, other than screens, and they've got 17,000 screens, like, where is the passing game? Think about it. I mean, uh, Lawrence only threw two incomplete passes last week and lost. You know, this will be to me that what I was disappointed with last week and, and the last two weeks has been Jacksonville's defense hasn't played to the level. That front's got to win the game for him. If that front doesn't make Daniel Jones play fast, they won't win.
0: Boy, I I think the Giants... You taking them? What are I, you doing? Are you I, taking I, the Giants? I, I took the points with the Giants, and I don't really regret it. I don't love it, but I don't think Jacksonville's shown enough to justify being a favorite, and I understand why Jacksonville's a favorite because you mentioned the underlying statistics. The Giants just get outgained yards per play in damn near every game they play other than against the Green Bay Packers, funny enough, but... I just don't think Jacksonville is justified to be a three-point favorite in any game right now, just based on what we've seen over the last few weeks here. Um, but what about the other New York team, Michael? The New York Jets taking on the Denver Broncos in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Denver one-point favorites, total 38 and a half. We don't know if Russell Wilson's going to play. Is it going to be Brett Ripon? Russell is pushing to play with the hamstring injuries or dealing with the shoulder issue as well. But the Jets and that defense are coming to town and looking to uh, improve on their 4-2 record.
1: You know, on Russell, I, I was going through my, my notes uh, of, like, I have this one document that I always go through as, like, it basically is the blueprint for what you want at every position. And and one of the things that, that always we would always have in that blueprint, which we would give out to scouts, was the age of a player when there was starting to be a decline. And at quarterback, it was 31 to 36. And any time you got at 36, mm-hmm. that, that quarterback was going to hit a wall. Right? We used to call it hit the wall. And so you always were concerned when you're in that sweet spot. Now, I think what's happened to us is Brady and Breeze have created this father time illusion that that 36 number doesn't matter anymore. Well, it does. I mean, if you look at some of these guys when they get to, the, and I think Russell's one of those guys. His body's breaking down. It's pretty clear. He was hurt last year. He's hurt this year again. Doesn't have a hamstring. To me, doesn't look like the same strength on his arm. That he did at one time doesn't move nearly as well. I mean, you know, we're finally the national media is finally saying maybe they've really got ripped off in that trade. Shocking, right? You know, so I mean, this to me, if if he plays, it you got to think the Jets can dominate the front. The Jets' defensive front can dominate the, the Broncos' offensive line, and I think ultimately, can the can the Broncos dominate the Jets' offensive I think whatever quarterback play, if Zach Wilson plays like. Sometimes we suspect him to play where he turns the ball over. Denver can win the game. Yeah, But I don't trust Denver at all. I really don't. I have this as a 3.31 game, Denver being the home favorite with the home field. And all the money, I mean all the money, Femi, has come in. I think this is one of the lowest.
0: I think 12% of the money is on Denver. That's it. (laughs) Nobody's betting Denver. That's why the number's down to one. Nobody wants anything to do with Denver after what they've seen in the four primetime games over six weeks for the Broncos. But Russell's former team, the Seattle Seahawks, are proving to be a frisky underdog. And they're an underdog once again in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Five-point dogs that are show-sponsored DraftKings. Total 50 and a half with Geno and that offense really getting it going. Chargers, we're expecting them to have a little bit more success against Seattle's defense. How do you see this one shaking out?
1: I don't like it for the Chargers. I mean, I think they'll move the ball in the Chargers. J.C. Jackson got benched mm-hmm. last yeah. week. I mean, Geno Smith's playing really good. I mean, say whatever you want. They're playing really good. Walker's a really good back. The two rookie tackles hang in there. You know, mm-hmm. they got to be do a good job on Khalil Mack. They got to make sure they take care of him. But I think Seattle will move the ball. I think this will be – now, can Seattle stop them? That's going to be a hard thing to do. You know, I mean, Seattle kind of hangs around. I, I kind of had this game as a, as a 5.81 game. It opened up at 7, Femi. Mm-hmm. It opened at 7 to start the week, and it's been nothing but but Seattle money coming in on it. I, I think that these are the kind of spots I don't trust the Chargers. I don't know about you. I love Herbert, but I don't trust the Chargers in these spots. I don't think they put teams away or they take control
0: of the game. I think there's plays that you can make against them. Yeah, I don't think their defense is good enough to cover this number. Also on the Seattle front, the, the rookie cornerback, Tariq Woolen. Have you been seeing his tape, Michael? Four interceptions, leading the league in interceptions. He has a couple fumble recoveries, a pick six, a blocked field goal. Playing great. This guy's awesome. I mean, he's playing really, really well. And and, you know,
1: they're getting I mean, they had six sacks last week in the game against the, you know, against the mayor. They had six sacks. I mean, they got after it. I mean, they're not great on defense, but mm-hmm. this is, I mean, look, Pete Carroll's a really good coach. I mean, nobody wants, everybody gets mad at Pete Carroll's management and he takes so much shit for not running the ball in the Super Bowl when it was the right call. But, I mean, the guy gets his teams to play better. This is what we're looking for is betters and people that are watching your team. You're looking for what team is improving as the year goes along. And I think that that's something that's really important. And, and we don't know, we always remember last week's game. Like it's really, you know, oh, that, that, that's going to be – no, that's not always what's going to happen last week's game. Last week's game is just last week's game. Put that aside. How is the matchup this week? What does it look like? And and how is it going to get handled? And I think when you watch these teams and you see kind of how it goes, you know, I, I think ultimately the teams that improve, the teams that practice, that continually try to get better every week are, are the ones that you see. And I, and I think when you watch this team, like, look, I mean, I know. I mean, the the one thing I always look for is when I watch teams get better is are they are they improving in rushes and completions? Are they stopping rushes and completions? And I think Seattle's proven
0: they're getting better in that area. Seattle, I think they hit that draft class out of the park there with about four or five guys who are impact starters already right now. That's a team that I've circled for next year, Michael, potentially to go ahead and be a bet-on team to do some pretty good things because I think they have a young nucleus that's going to take them into another stratosphere here. In the final game, Michael, they And they got about- a ton of oh.
1: picks. I mean, God, they, they got so
0: many. I mean, they got, they I mean, give Schneider credit. I mean, took a lot
1: of shit. I mean, like I, I, I said on this pod, I couldn't go on vacation if Geno Smith was my starter.
0: Man, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this
1: guy has played really well, and he's going to play good against the Chargers
0: too. Yeah, and they could either give him an extension or maybe go out and get one of those young quarterbacks that's playing in college football on Saturdays right now. The Super Bowl Fifty Four rematch, Michael, is the prime and premier game this week in San Francisco. The 49ers hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City two and a half point favorites. Total forty eight and a half. Which team do you trust most to bounce back after last week's losses?
1: I, I trust. I trust the, the Chiefs. I mean, I think. I mean, mm. I think it's hard to beat Andy twice in a row and. I mean look, I don't think Mahomes you can count on him to make mistakes and plus I think you got to be really before you bet this game, I think you got to be really careful to see the injury report because mm-hmm. last week you got to just throw that Falcon game out. They were not oh, at yeah. full strength last week. That wasn't the case. If they have their defensive players back, then this is going to be a game against a really good offense against a really good defense, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. the, the the 49ers only allowed 2.4 points per play. They only allow 4.2 yards per play. They're remarkable defensively, but when they have their B unit out there, they can't be remarkable. This is in college where you have better players that keep playing. (laughs) So, I I, I mean, to me, in games like this, I always favor the home team and the defense. That's typically where I would go. However, that being said, I think it's a little concerning because I don't know if all
0: the defensive players are going to play for San Francisco. This is a game that I have bet, Michael, And I took the Niners plus three when it was plus three earlier this week. Because I think we're going to get a good injury report. Just reading the tea leaves, some of the beat writers in the Bay Area, it sounds like Trent Williams should be back on that offensive line. He means a lot to them. Nick Bosa should be back. I think Traverius Ward as well on the secondary should be good to go. I think we're going to get a pretty good injury report by the time we get to Friday. I think the Niners win. I think they have the better defense in the run game, and that allows them to keep Mahomes off of the field. Give me the Niners to pull off the small upset against the Kansas that's City bit, Chiefs.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it, Fem. I love how you're thinking. That's, that's good. That's what we got to do. I man. mean, I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to, look, I think that everybody says, well, it's how Jimmy plays. I, this Niner team is not – I mean, Jimmy played they, they, – now they had three turnovers last week, one at the end of the half. Mm-hmm. You know, and there were too many drop balls in, in that game. They had a lot of drops in that game. The Niner's success is going to be how Jimmy complements the defense, not how Jimmy plays. That's going to be the key to their success because this defense can carry them a long, long way. And I can promise you this in October, nobody wants to play this defense come January if they're healthy. Nobody does. Oh, no, no, Nobody does, including (laughs) the, the, the Super Bowl champs, Eagles. Nobody wants to play them.
0: Hang the banner out there in Philly, Michael. It's already up. It's already up. Well, let me know we when got the parade. Let me know when the parade gets going, and then I'll come up. We got there. I'll the come Phillies, out Phillies.
1: Phillies. Phillies <laughs> are in it. We got the Eagles. Now, you know the Sixers. That that was just a blurp in the road. They're going to be great, even though it be turned the ball over six times and gave up how many points to Boston. But it's supposed to be the yeah. best defensive team in all of basketball. Doc says he's not worried though. I'm worried about Doc,
0: but he says he's not worried. Okay, we'll go on from there. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the podcast, Michael. Fun, as always, we'll be back Monday to recap everything from week number seven. Thank you to DraftKings and VEASAN, as always. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond, with us on the ones and twos. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And, Michael, I'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you so much, family. I appreciate it.